Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It doesn't show you that when you watch like on Netflix and you watch series on there or you watch movies and you watch music videos online on YouTube, it shows the glamour. It doesn't show the stuff behind it. It doesn't show my mother, you know, worrying to death about me. You know, I'm aging her by 10 years in one night. <laughs> it doesn't show my grandparents driving around till midnight at the age of 60 looking for me because they're so worried about me. It doesn't show that side. It doesn't show what actually is going on behind the scenes. Thank you so much for joining us on Stop and Search. Today is a very special guest. He's now a friend, Wes Cunliffe. His story is incredible. He's been on the front lines of county line dealing. He has been stabbed multiple times himself, so he knows all about youth violence and street violence. He's now out the other side and gives back to the community in just such incredible ways and in inspirational ways. He's a youth coach. He's very, very big in the world of rugby. And his story is just phenomenal. So we're going to get straight on with it and listen to what he's got to say. You're listening to Stop and Search, brought to you by... Scurious Pips Distraction to Pieces Network on ACAST in association with Law Enforcement Action Partnership across the globe. Here we go. Behind your barricades. Yeah, but how long can I stay? Behind your barricades. Where Thank you for joining us on Stop and Search. And as I said at the start of this episode, Wes is a friend and it's a privilege to call him so, but I'm also a trustee for his new charity, Rise and Reach, which is just getting going as we're speaking. It's still not there yet, but look out for it. It is nascent and it will be doing so much good work, like youth mentoring, coaching, workshops all across the country, especially in Wales. There's so much that Wes is putting into this. He is such a passionate, really hardworking individual and it is an absolute phenomenal pleasure to know Wes. He is really one of those people that just... You come off the phone with him and you just feel inspired. You really, really do. So thank you, Wes, for everything you do. And please look out for Rise and Reach. And if you want to get involved in our work at Law Enforcement Action Partnership, you know where we are. In the US, Police for Reform on Twitter, Straight X. And in the UK, Twitter and Instagram, at UK Leap. And our Facebook and Instagram, UKLeap.org. So without further ado, let's speak to Wes and hear about his, quite frankly, amazing life. You probably, you probably know better than me, but you get so many different politicians and media people that are expert in the field and lived experience just so lacks from their point of view. And lived experience is what we need. That is just everything. So when you've got someone like you that's eloquent, had the journey you've had, and you can put across these different points of view, that is worth more than gold. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. There's one thing I, I like to... There's a there's a big buzzword I use in, in my line of work and in life really is is credibility. Um, I, I think that's very important having credibility, um, which we can talk about later on in the line. But yeah, um, when we speak about it, you'll understand where I'm coming from. Credibility for me is most probably the most important tool anyone from the lived experience can have to engage and support young people and adults around around the UK. You must have had it where you've had the both the, the best of both worlds in people that have listened to you, have taken on board. But also, I mean, I've got personal experience of what it's like walking into Westminster, laying down testimony and it just getting not laughed at, but potentially, you know, scoffed at. They know better. What's it like when you are dealing with someone that still doesn't really take the issue seriously or think they do know better on the issues? Yeah, it's a it, that's a double-edged sword, um, unfortunately, on that one, Jason. Um, I've seen that 
where people with lived experience have, have came up to uh, the higher powers that be, shall we say, um, and they're, they're saying what they're seeing on the ground, on the front line, um, what they're seeing day in, day out, the families and young people that they're supporting and what they're actually seeing, what the trends are. And unfortunately, sometimes, as you said, you know, I, I know better. And unfortunately, it's not, it's not actually even touching the barriers or even touching the sides of what some of these young people and their families are going through. So, so we're going to get into your story as as we develop in this podcast. But yeah, you've had a lot of dealings with both sides of authority. Um, I like to think you are an authority now is in so many different ways. But it, it must be frustrating watching the issues that we're going to be talking about through the media lens as well, because quite often the media lens has got a certain weighted position to it you know it may form a narrative that's to do with that political leaning of that paper or that organization that media organization what is it like watching county lions knife crime uh youth mentoring all these issues what's it like watching it through a media lens when you've got such good experience yourself uh through the media lens I, i think it can be as again i said it's a dead red sword because i know there's a lot of issues in the media um, surrounding knife crime and county lines, I know the media has a certain angle um, and a certain narrative about young people involved in knife crime and county lines. So, for example, the I know in the media is always highlighted where if a young black person stabs or attacks another black person, um, for some reason, race is a is an issue here. Um, but you know, you heard about unfortunately the things that happened have been toxic. Um, over the last few years, but all of a sudden, race is not a problem. Um, you know, so it, you can see, you know, through the through the media, from my side, from my side, that narrative that it doesn't it doesn't tell the whole story. Um, you know, I know young kids who who are A class students. They are A grade students. They're on the way. They are very intelligent. They've never been involved in law. Never been. They, some of these young kids I work with have never been involved with the police or services ever in their life. Um, but because through fear, the stop and search, they've been found with a knife in their possession. And while I speak with these young kids, um, they're carrying a knife through fear. Um, but that, that that side of the story doesn't get told. Yeah, it's so true as well. It's it's not just... It's, it's, it goes every walk of life that is still getting stopped and searched arbitrarily. I'm connected with barristers on LinkedIn that have that have been, you know, just pulled over in their car just because they got a nice car. You know, they're a barrister. You know, and this is what the police are still doing. This is what we need to definitely address. And you you make the case that you know people who are taking up arms, you know, knives and and hammers and and anything rudimentary they get their hands on as well. Because of the arms race that's going on on, on street level, you know, you, you you yourself you took up a, a knife, kind of through survival. It, would would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. When I was involved in you know what they what they call now candy lines, and uh, when I was involved in that, when I was when I was young, um, I was carrying a knife through through fear, um, only because I was new to that kind of world. And when I was going to other areas of the UK, and I've seen older people themselves with weapons, at that point in my head, I was like, actually. I'm very shit. I'm very vulnerable here. Um, you, you know, I'm very vulnerable to, to, to a lot of those attacks and I had nothing to defend myself with. Um, you know, so the next time I went out and around, I was actually, I said, I'm putting two blades in my, in my, in my socks, you know, cause if, if, if anything happens, I'm defending myself. And you, and you were quite young as well, weren't you? I think you started County Lines Dana from about 13. Is that right? I was 13 years old when I first got involved in it. I it was it wasn't as big as it was when I got when I turned 15, 16, 17, but when I was 13, 14, it was just taking a package from one address to another locally, you know, and and you know, taking it to an area in in Cardiff, taking it to an area, you know, down down towards the southwest. But then obviously as I got older and this sounds kind of controversial, I'm gonna say, but kind of good at what I did at that point um my journey started getting longer you know I started to be sent up north you know I'm on a four five six hour travel up north and at that point that's when you think yourself okay that I'm very vulnerable to this I've seen outside of my own bubble what I'm used to seeing now this is different I'm very vulnerable to this I need to now carry myself carry a weapon and and you know when you see what things I've seen happen to young people um, surrounding me in those environments, it, it, it's it's horrendous, you know, it's, it's horrific, and 
it's one of those things where I look back on it now. It's one of those things where I wish I didn't do it, but at the same time, I'm glad it's happened to me because I'm able to speak to yourself and also help other young people today. It's, sometimes it's a bit of a nightmare speaking to people like you because you, you, you just give me so much that I've now got about 50 different questions in my head that I want to pull upon. One of them is what you just said there of like, you, you was quite humble then of, you know, you, you got good at this. And this is something that I found when I was speaking to other people that have been in county lines. Uh, there's a book out called Top Girl um, where there's a, a female lead that was doing county lines, Dean, and she was good at her job as well. And this is something that you can't necessarily you know put on your cv but it's still something that you do need a lot of whereabouts about you need commerce you need economics finances street smarts these are all things that you can say that you were good at but at the same time you know you can't brag about them in in you know nice society so what's what's that like to have that experience that that does shape your character and yet you know you have to present it in a certain way yeah in in my in my current roles when i go into schools uh, deliver workshops on the risks and consequences of of candy lines and, and knife crime and when i speak to professionals all over the uk about candy lines and knife crime it's it's exactly what you said um but it's that insight um and that's why you said that credibility that's why credibility authenticity is so important because when i go into these schools whether you're sevens eights nines tens eleven six form <coughs> college doesn't matter when i go into these schools i actually resonate with a lot of these young people what they're going through um like for example a young a young boy would say to me so you've been you've been trapping for days then bruv <clears throat> i go yeah i've trapped for days i've been awake for 72 hours you won't know that unless you've been in that environment you know so that connection that credibility straight away with those young people you get that engagement a lot better because as mad as it sounds um even though it's like a brag but brawls at the same time, that's actually my best way for me personally. That's my best way, my best tool into engaging young people who's currently who sees that lifestyle as a way out. And I suppose as well, when you are dealing with young people that you are, you know, you're mentoring, a lot of people would have been aware of what's going on in terms of, you know, what they're seeing on Netflix, what they're seeing in uh, drama po podcasts and things like that. So is there a, you know, a sexiness to, to county lines? Uh, are young people aspirational towards it have you found anything like that it's there's a term that we use glamorize you know the glamorization i think a lot of it is is kind of glamorized um a, a good example is i i i watched the movies i'm sure you come across on rise of the foot soldier and when you watch the movie um really gripping in terms of what ha what the end result is and i think that's a good message because no matter who you are it doesn't end well no matter who you are but at the same time it does kind of glamorize you know the money the girls um the power from a boy's perspective then from a girl's perspective also shows you know what kind of lifestyle she could potentially have if she meets a meets a, a you know a male from that kind of from that kind of life um but, but it's it's glamorized it doesn't actually show you um what life is about you know like you said um the three gentlemen shot in the in, in the Range Rover, that is the end result. But it doesn't show you that when you watch like um, like on Netflix and you watch series on there or you watch movies and you watch music videos online on YouTube, um, it shows the glamour. It doesn't show the stuff behind it. It doesn't show my mother, you know, worrying to death about me, you know. I'm aging her by 10 years in one night. <laughs> um, it doesn't show my grandparents driving around till midnight at the age of 60 looking for me because they're so worried about me. It doesn't show that side. It doesn't show what actually is going on behind the scenes. And, and there's, I'm, I'm, if it's all right, I'm going to ask about your your family in a little bit because you've you've been speaking publicly about, about there in certain news articles and certainly a, a particular incident as well, which we'll get to. Uh, but we've we've flirted around this this um strap line of lived experience and it's both really important to what what we've spoken about and our mutual works how important is it the lived experience you you touched upon it there when you said that you're going to schools and colleges when you are making those connections with students and people and mentoring how important is the lived experience i th i think it's, ve it's very very important now don't get me wrong i i i liaise with other statutory services like social services youth offending and and police and probation <clears throat> and don't get me wrong they've all they all got you know they've all got their um hearts in the right place it's just for me personally um i think it's the most important it's just that that 
that deep level connection, most very basic connection. I have been where you have. I understand what you are going through. I understand when you don't wash for five days, when you don't eat for five days, when you owe money, when you witness violence. I understand what you're going through. When, for example, if a young person um, tries to get intervention from services and the young person doesn't want to engage straight away, that narrative is it's a negative engagement. Where I've been in his shoes, I've gone, well, hang on a minute. For example, he hasn't eaten for five days. He hasn't washed for five days. He hasn't slept for five days. He more probably owes money. He more probably witnessed violence. I don't think right now he's in any shape to talk to you about anything. Um, and I know that because I've been in his shoes. When I've been sat in that police cell and they're questioning me, I couldn't care. All I cared about was how am I going to pay this back? That's what I care about, and I and I get that, and and that's the most important thing. On that deep, basic connection, I understand you. I generally understand what you're going through. I know what it's like to go hungry. I know what it's like to put, you know, to try and put food on the table. I know what it's like to see your mother working hard and still and still, you know, the ends are not meeting. I I generally I generally understand that. And when you look at that, then the young people, their families look at you in a different light and they look at you in a different way. And even though they know you're a professional, now it's still I'd rather talk to Wes than, for example, than rather talk to somebody else. I'd rather talk to you, Wes. You understand me. Um, and there's no there's no hierarchy there. It's like I get it. I've been where you've been. All I'm here to do is help you get out of that. So if it's all right with you, then let, let's tell this story because it is just so incredible. Yeah, you you were thirteen. Um, how did you get into County Lions? Yeah, you know, and at what? I, I don't suppose at that time it was even was it called County Lions or was that kind of a, a, a retrospective terminology? Uh, well, I'm sure that's a conversation for another day. I, uh, County Lions has been here for a long, long time. It's just only recently, in the last few years, they named it County Lions. It's always been going on. They've now just found a name for it, um, but it's always been happening. But um, well, how I got involved was obviously. I was a single parent household. Um, I had, you know, younger siblings and I was 13 and mum was had an addiction at the time, you know, to, you know, to alcohol. And I think that was through a very rough relationship with my father. And I seen my mother struggling, but at the same time, my, my, my younger siblings, they needed clothes, they needed food, you know, when I'm 13. And I knew obviously people locally, I knew how to, I was very resourceful, should we say. And, I end up. That's why I end up getting involved. I was taking a package from from A to B, and I was getting getting money for that then, which was able to pay for the electric to buy my my younger brother's clothes and buy his food. Cause I got I got into trouble three times, I think, at twelve. I mem- I'm not sure if you remember the microwave McCain chips. Oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> I nicked four of them to take home for me and my and my and my younger brothers. Um, but I got caught. So. Um, but that was my first involvement with the police. But it was from, you know, that's how bad it was. I actually had to steal food just to feed me and my little brothers. And not just any food, but microchips. <laughs> that's how bad it got. That's how bad it got. It's just, it's it's incredible when you put it in those terms that, you know, you're 13, a child yourself, and you was having to go to that level just because of, you know, what services in, in your own home life. And as you said, you know, dealing with someone's addiction in itself is, is just, you know, so what was that like seeing an addiction so close to home? I tell you what exactly how I felt at the time. I felt very, very helpless. That was that was the biggest one for me personally. I felt very helpless because I seen I see my mother when she's sober and she's fantastic and she's a nice lady. Um it's just when she, when she hits the bottle that's when things go bad and unfortunately she goes on a on a you know what we call a bender for a long time um and it, i just felt so helpless because i i know she had a lot of potential i know she she loves us as you know as a mother i know that's hard for people to believe she generally did but i think she had her own demons to fight um you know and unfortunately we were caught uh, i was caught in the middle of that and I found myself very helpless. I felt, I felt gutted. And at the same time, you feel, you do feel a bit ashamed as well because where you grow up and people know what's going on in your life and you walk through the streets and you hear people on each other's ear talking about you and most probably talking about your mother and talking about your little brothers and, you know, calling you a scruff. You've got no drip, you've got no ratings and things like that. And, you know, all that's going on around you. So at the age of 13, I generally didn't know where I stood. And it must be, presumably where this you know you're very big on mental health advocacy now as well 
having seen that for such an early age, that must have sown seeds of being aware of mental health. Yeah, mental health is 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 very close to home for me. Even though I got a lot of passion for helping young people and uh, around around the country who's going through hardship and trying to get them out of the the lifestyle and trying to get them into positive things. But mental health is very close to home. Uh, not only have I seen it through, you know, my mother, like I said, demons there, um, you know, and 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 what she was going through in her head. Um, but at the same time, I've been down the similar road myself, you know, when I, you know, wh- when I got stabbed and when I got involved in that and that kind of life. But at the same time as well, I've, I've sat there not too long ago, a couple of years ago, I generally sat there, um, in my head, wanted to take my own life. I've been there myself. I wanted to do that. Um, I felt it not too long ago, about six, seven months ago. I felt, I felt it. I generally felt it. Um, I want, I wanted to end my life, um, and I know what it's like, it's very dark, very grey. Uh, but people don't see that, you know. Um, it's it's an invisible thing, and it can put you to your knees. Um, Tyson Fury says it, and I completely agree with him. You can't smell it, you can't taste it, and you cannot see it. Um, and I completely agree with him um, on that. It, it does, It can, and it puts you to your knees. And I've been, I've been in that world myself, and I know what that's like. And people don't see that. People don't see what you see. Everything's grey, everything's dark. And don't forget, I've got three beautiful young children. I've got a, I've got a lovely partner. I, some people think I've got a good career in what I do. I play top level rugby, and I still sometimes want to end my life. Having such a lived experience in that, if you don't mind me asking, what are your coping mechanisms if you just start to feel that way? What do you do? Do you seek help, or do you deal with it internally? At first, I didn't know how to deal with it. And that's been honest with you, Jason. I didn't know how to deal with that. Um, how I cope with it now, my coping strategy is I do, I've gone back to rugby. I've gone back into sports. That really helps me um, because I know people go to the church, but that's my church. If that makes sense, the rugby pitch, that is my church. The boys, the, the banter, the environment. You know, when you go rugby, everything that's in your life that's that's haunting you is gone for those for those two hours you know it's gone and and, and it's fantastic i also listen to a lot of music i i like to do that i also start exercising a lot more now for me personally i do that but also just helping other people with mental health issues also is a coping mechanism for me because passing on my experience to other people who's you know going through a similar kind of path that's also very you know what's the right word i'm trying to look for it's very soothing for me as well. I, that's that's how I trying to get around it. That's how I how I get around that. And I, and I throw myself at my work. Then I get very busy. And I'm going to totally bring up rugby uh, as we go along in this story because it's played such an important part in your life. And 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 the way you've got to rugby as well, I think, is a really interesting story in its own right. And again, I, I completely hold my hands up that I've said that y- your life could be a film. And I think this is yeah, you know, it's all there. You know, it, this this script writes itself. But just rolling back a little bit more. So we were talking about how you got into County Lines. Um, so, you know, you, you, you set out the scene beautifully that the fact that, you know, your, your circumstances were not the easiest, to say the least. Um, wh- where was the initial introduction? You know, at what point did you become aware of a drug trade? Um, and, and how were the, you know, the, the seeds sown to get into that trade? Well, when I, when I grew up in Newport, um, it, it was all around you. Um, anyway, it was there around you. Um, you know, you had users walking around the streets. There, there was burglaries going on. There's assaults going on, muggings, robberies going on. You know, it was around me. You know, crime was around me. It, it, you couldn't get away from it. So if you wanted to make quick, a quick buck, it, w- it wouldn't be hard to, you know, to go to the right people and find the right place to do that. And so me getting involved in that, it was kind of there, in, the environment in front of me. It was there in my face literally in my face uh the minute i go to bed the minute i wake up it's there it's just constantly there um so getting involved in that really is that saying a product of your environment and and i think i was a product of my environment um you know because it, it the temptation was always there you know you see people with lots of money and i haven't got that you know by literally next door to me somebody's waving wads of 50s you know about 300 pound in 50s back then and you know and i didn't have no money i'm thinking hang on a minute i could have that in my pocket if i wanted and you know i i did test myself i stayed away from it for a long time i thought things would get better but it didn't so in the end i thought i got no choice here in my at the time in my eyes i was like there's no choice so 
I, I, I went and knocked on the doors and I went and that's how I got involved. So this is, yeah, we're talking about 20 years ago now, aren't we? And um, from your perspective, has, has much changed in, in terms of, you know, what we're still facing with the, the social disparities and poverty? Are we, uh, has, has anything changed? Not really. Uh, I, I think those issues have been going on, you know, for the in past, going past 20 years. I think we've had the same issues over the last 50 to 100 years, I would say, really. Um, there's always been a disparity. Um, like, for example, when you look at all the young kids I dealt with, I work with over 100 young people, at least at least 90% of them have come from a poverty slash single parent slash domestic violence household. Um, so that clearly shows the, that that is the social indicator. I don't, I don't think that's changed much. So you, you mentioned yourself that, yeah, you, you started being aware of the trade, you know, you saw people with money. What was it like that initial first few deals, you know, it, when you were going out there and consciously, sending drugs in the drugs chain was there any point part of you that was regretful of that or is it just something that you had to do to survive they're both to be honest with you something i did regret I, I you know i'm not going to shy away from it i can take it on the chin i know people will find this very controversial um i knew it was wrong but at the same time i had no choice at that time i had no choice um it was either i if i didn't do that then me and my brothers would need it was simple as that and i knew sending drugs was wrong and the first time I actually did it, you'd be surprised how petrified I actually was doing that. Um, you know, you've got 30, 40, 50 year old men and women tearing over you, um, asking for, for, you know, asking for, for products and you're handling the, you're handling the, the, the drugs, they give you the money. And you think to yourself, at any minute now, they could actually just jump me and rob me, you know, at any single moment in time. And that's a, that's a really good point as well, that, you know, the, the age difference, the fact that you were such a young person dealing with an older group that, you know, had more life experience in one way or another. That's something we don't talk about, is it? You know, we, 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 we do think in terms of child protection, but we're still not thinking in terms of how you just laid it out there. So again, this brings us back to lived experience. I, presumably, it's so crucial that people like you, and this is still going on, you know, both of us are aware of this is still going on. How how easy is it for people like yourselves and the people that the the, the, the new people that are coming through through the county lines? Are there services that are able to deal with them? Are the exit strategies available to them? Oh, they ask them. They ask a very good question, mate. Well, in my experience in in Wales, um, I think we have. I, I think we're we're coping with with what's going on. I mean, in terms of this, in terms of professionals, I'll be completely honest. This is a, a completely a brand new kind of um, wolf at our door in terms of exploitation. I think as a new wolf, I think as you know yourself, um, when you with other services, is always about you know sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, you know and. Obviously, when you look at a young person involved in county lines, whether it's a boy or a girl, they could suffer all of those in one night, you know, and be and be open and vulnerable and susceptible to that every single time. Um, the the way I think forward is with that is like I said, people who are like myself with credible lived experience that can have those conversations with the young people and say, look, talk to me, what is going on? And when we have those conversations, we can then highlight that and we can actually be that useful tool for other services. Um, we can be that very good tool. We can say, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. I believe the young person. I think that's very important as well. Very good one. I believe the young person. I believe what they're saying. Um, because of what they're saying to me, I get it. And what I say to them is vice versa. We understand each other because we both come from the same kind of line, the same kind of background. Um, and I think that is the way forward, I believe, that collaborative. When you look at Scotland, they did the public health approach. I think, as you can see, clearly it's worked in Glasgow. And I think that should be replicated all over the country. When you do meet someone that's had a similar parallel to you and have had the similar life circumstances, does it bring stuff back to you personally? Do you is, is the empathy to such a degree that you know you get flashbacks and or can you distance yourself from what that person is going through to your previous life? 
I learned the distance myself, but at the same time, it still does come back. And when I say I learned the distance myself, when it does come back, I've learned how to control that. I've learned how to how to deal with that internally while I'm in that situation. Um, it was crazy. Not too long ago, I did a first, I, I had to do a refresh in my first aid training. And the paramedic asked me to lie down on the floor. I had a flashback of, of the three police officers working on my body when I got stabbed. You know, I, I had I had that flashback on my back, um, and there was the paramedic one side and a, and a colleague on the other side of my body, just to do the practice and the chest compressions. And the flashback came: the blue lights, um, the oxygen mask on my on my on my face, and three officers, you know, with with um, uh, triage stuff, putting their putting their body weight on my wounds to try and stop the bleeding. All that came back in my head because the fact of I was led on my back. Um, and I saw that paramedic that come back to me straight away. Um, so when you work with these young people and they tell you what's what's happening to them and how they feel, it does bring it back. But at the same time, I, I turn that into a positive because yet again, I'll always go back to it. I've been where you've been. I understand what you're going through. This is how I got. This is how I got out of it. If you want the same thing, then I can help you with that. If it's all right, then that's a really good place to to start talking about you know that story in itself. So yeah, you you were quite brutally stabbed. Uh, I've I've read the story to this, so I've, I've got some idea. But it, you know, obviously, it could never compare to the actual reality of what you went through. So, can you just explain what what was the lead up events to to that incident? Uh, it was it was quite straightforward, Jason. I was I went to another town. And I collected on my way back. I got followed. Um, I spotted that. I tried to get away and I got cornered. And as I turned around, three of the boys pulled, pulled blades out on them, barraclavered up, and uh, they wore quite thick, quite thick outfits, like they have three or four jumpers on. So, you know, as if I was going to attack them back to pierce them was going to be quite be quite hard. But um, they already had their blades out and my blades were in my pocket. So, but the, the response time for me to get that out and then to come at me was too quick. So I just put my bag in front of me and they were swinging. I was swinging. And all I remember, it was blue lights turned up and uh, armed police, armed police. And the boys got arrested. I just felt lightheaded. I looked down. I just felt a hot and a cold um, go down my left arm. And I just felt warm going down my down my stomach into my into my uh, private parts. And as I looked down, I'd been stabbed. I, there was just blood pouring out of my left arm and uh, in my stomach. And I just felt all lightheaded. The police officer said, "You okay?" And I just waved. And my my eyes rolled to the back of my head. And I just remember the police officer saying, "Urgent assistance." And I woke up about half hour later. I come back round, and the police were working on my body. And I remember more blue lights, the paramedics turned up and that's when they put the oxygen mask on me and they were doing doing excellent work on me and they got me in the back of the ambulance and I woke up 10 days later, uh, uh, 10 days later, but I was in there 10 days, but I woke up five days later um, with a ventilator down my mouth. The recovery period from that, and I'm not just talking about the physical wounds, but have you recovered at all from the from the mental side of that trauma? No, um, but I've learned to live with it. Um, I, I always say it to every young person and every person who's asked me, I think the very first step into the recovery in anything is accepting it's happened or is accepting it is a problem. And that's what I've done. I've accepted it's happened to me. I've accepted that. And I've accepted that I could have died. I accept that. Um, I, you know, put my, my grandparents and my, you know, through that, through that terrible ordeal, you know, I accept that. I take that. I accept it. Um, and the and the best way to move. And that's the for me, me personally, that's the best way. Thing you're going to move forward. That you have to accept that. The only thing that always comes back to me when, you know, I go rugby training. Sometimes I always I used to shower at early times. I used to shower my t-shirt on, and the boys used to go, "Why are you doing that for?" Because the scars on my body. You know, the scars on my body didn't want them to see that. And also, when I go to bed, um, when I take off my top. You know, those scars remind me of what could have happened and what did happen. Um, you know, so it's always there as a reminder. My how I look at it is always there as a reminder. And I've got to accept that. This this is going to be a weird question to ask, but you've got a similar philosophy to what I've had as well. Of your experience makes you who you are today, um, and changing anything in that line, you know, might change who you are. So, with that kind of basic ethos, would you go back and change that incident? Or does it make who you are today? 
it makes me who I am today. Um, how I got involved in in working with people, the same thing with rugby, it's completely mental how I got involved with working with people. It was it was even something I was even considered. Um I was as as I said, I just got out of that life. I walked away, I found rugby and I started getting involved in that and then and when I work with young people today and I have those conversations with people and t- speaking to people like yourself and speaking with parents of the young people, I don't think I would change anything because that's made me who I am and I enjoy who I am and what I'm doing now. And I also enjoy making changes in people's lives, uh, you know, whether that's for the good or the better, but I, I, I enjoy doing that. So no, I wouldn't change that in the past because that wouldn't let me do what I'm doing now. I've met some incredible kids with, with incredible talent. And, you know, if I, if, if I hadn't been doing what I was doing back then, I don't think I would have come across these young people I work with, you know, and there's absolute privilege to work with them. It's it's interesting from my point of view when I speak to people like yourselves that have got such such an interesting experience and, and the life journey that you've had that it comes across that you care. You really do care about about people. Um when you was actually, you know, in counselized dealing, presumably you came across people that were vulnerable, had addictions, had nothing. Did that set you up for the life journey you've had now? You know, witnessing that you know, quite often depravity. Yeah, you know, obviously, I don't want to just paint that picture because there's going to be people who've got conscious choice that are going to be, you know, middle class consumers as the as the media is trumpeting now. So, what was it like when you did deal with the, the vulnerable side of society? People who did go through addictions. Did it did you, did it set you up for what you're doing now? Absolutely, because I can see both sides of the coin. Um, like like as you know, through myself personally, how I see my mother deteriorate herself and see the the dark you know down the dark rabbit hole she went down but also when i when i was dealing and i sold to certain people what i also saw how damaging that was you know how very damaging um i remember uh, a gentleman paid for paid, paid for some things and he he gave us quite a lot of money and i remember his, I think it was his wife that came round the corner, absolutely shouting at him, screaming at him, um, you know, and had two little little babies in a pram, you know, and and she said, I cannot believe you've done this again, or again, all the money gone again, and and I looked and I thought, you know, the the money that he just gave me, and pocketed, that was, you know, wet wipes, nappies, and you know, milk, baby milk, you know, that's gone into my pocket, that those that those um, you know, young children should have had. And what I did then, because I saw that, I, 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 I give it to him back because I saw you know, how damaging that was through that simple act. And I, that's what I said, Jason. I don't think people, under, like that's why I, I always say, people don't understand it properly through their eyes. But I, I do, I've seen it. I've seen the damage that it causes both sides i see the damage that it does and i see how that can affect other innocent people in those in those people's lives i've seen that one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com hold up what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It must have been at some cost to you as well, in some jeopardy, because presumably you was in some kind of hierarchy within the drugs distribution chain. So to to give it a refund, as it were, surely that put you in danger as well. 
Yeah, yeah, like I said, it absolutely petrified when I was doing it. it absolutely petrified because, like I said to you, when you're 13, 14 and you're dealing to people that's older than yourself, it, it was so easy for them to, to you know, they could have jumped me and could have took everything off me. And then I would have been, a, I would have all a debt then to my elder. Do you know what I mean? It, it was simple as that. It, it was so open. And not just them, the people as well that, you know, if if you if you don't know that you're on somebody else's turf and they, they come at you for that reason only. So many vulnerabilities. And and when you talk about risk assessing, that's why I actually, in the professionally, right, I'm like, do you actually know what a risk assessment is? Because in my world, I'm thinking about a hundred things that could actually go wrong. Um, and that, and it's not even done in, a, in the space of an office and a manager. This is just what I've seen myself surrounding in an area that I don't know, people that I don't, even people that I don't know, um, I'm far away from home, no family, no friends, it's just me, and I'm looking around thinking, at any moment in time, this could end really, really wrong for me. And you've had 20 years experience of retrospect now of, of the county line system, and as we both said, you know, county lines is a fairly recent term, it's been going on for so much longer, but from your very, very eminent perspective, What's it been like watching that 20 years of media evolution, political evolution, and on the ground as well? Just a basic assessment in your mind of that 20 years and how county lines have shifted, What's it, or has it stayed the same? i tell you what has shifted. I feel the the, the glamorisation of the, of the whole thing has shifted compared to when I was younger. Um, I know technology has, has significantly you know, got better since I was young. Goodness, I remember my granddad saying to me they didn't have phones that would go knock on his mate's door, you know, to have a, to have a chat, you know. So that's how far, you know, technology has got gone on since then. But um, it's everywhere now, as you can see. You go on YouTube and you, you just see people talk about it. They rap about it. It's it's, it's in, in your everyday life. Um, you know, you go, on, you, you go on social media, it's on there, it's in your face, it's there. Uh, they talk about it, they brag about it. And... It's glamorized to these young people today. It's completely glamorized. And when unfortunately, when they step into that world, um, can't speak for every young person because you are right, there is a conscious decision. But I think some young people generally don't know what they're walking into. And that's that's an easy question for me to ask now is the glamorization of it from your perspective that's in the absolute hard tax of this issue. What's it like to, to view that and spectate that? It's very hard, really, because when when you see that, I know what's going on behind that, behind that music video, behind that story. I know what's going on. I know what potentially could have happened, um, you know, on the build up to that, and you, you they and they talk about it, and it's there. And young people from thirteen to seventeen, and let's let's not beat around the bush. I think it's a problem that us as a country need to recognise that there is a problem with this. There is a problem with that, and social media needs to be held to some sort of account with this. It, it, it's it's a collective. It can't be, you know, one legislation will change it. You know, one prime minister can change it, or the home secretary can change it. It's not everyone's got to get involved in this. Everyone's got to come together on that one. Um, as I said, it worked. It, it worked in Scotland. It, it's evident. It worked in Scotland. Um, some Scandinavian countries have done the same. Have uh, gone down that approach, and you know. We've seen tougher sentences are not working. Um, it's still going on. And I think it's a collective. And I think the the only way forward for that is if we all come together and really approach this. It is a problem. It is a problem at our door. There's no getting away from it. And as you said, the media, the narrative, it is a pro- it's everybody's problem. Because unfortunately today, where before, it'd only be kids like myself who were, who were from a poverty-stricken background, domestic violence. That's changed now. Anyone can be groomed now. Anyone can get involved in that, whether you're middle class, whether you're whether you're working class, whether you're elite. I've had young people from all three categories of life. I've had all young people from all three walks of life, and they've all been groomed by watching things on social media. I normally save this question to the end, but I think I'm going to s- save your rugby journey and the exit strategy that you've had to the end. And seeing as we're talking about this, uh, put you on the spot now. So the thing that I like to ask and and tend to finish on but won't today is so as you just mentioned you know you, you've given some of the key indicators what the problem is if you were to run for office and you were to become an mp stroke prime minister what what policies would you do to to support this to i don't want to speak in terms of eradication because that always always goes a different route but what would you do to on this issue um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say this legislation. If I was in that kind of that kind of power, I would just 
find a way to fund all these good charities and services that need it. Um, you know, like you know yourself, police are undercut, the NHS are undercut, um, public sectors have been cut. Um, you, you know, uh, I remember um, when I grew up, which we'll talk about part of the exit strategy, when I grew up, um, there was a thing called Communities First, you know, in all these communities around the UK. And there were people at the hand to help you out of that kind of lifestyle and, and to help you out of that life. And that's been cut, you know. So if I was in that kind of way, I would just, I would really, really put a lot of money into that, the very foundation, the infrastructure, the very people on the front line dealing with this day in, day out. And, all, and you know, I think that's the biggest thing here is actually the resources that we have. I think is really under under sourced. I think it's really under pressure across the board. I think everybody can see that. So I'd vote for you. That makes complete sense. You know, bottom up strategies, funding, because this is what what we constantly refer back to. And what you've mentioned is that all the while you do have social disparities and poverty, it leads people into routes of survival, like you've just mentioned, and what your life journey was. So it completely makes sense to me. And you also said public health you said that word quite a lot so presumably that'd be another approach that you'd go for absolutely i think everybody got something to offer at the table i don't think lived experience is is, is the only answer and, and I, i'm being honest i haven't got the knowledge of a, of a social worker i don't have a knowledge of a youth offending officer i don't have a knowledge of the judge i i'm clearly i'm clearly happy to admit that uh what i'm trying to say is that if we all come together and put all put our experiences and all our powers to the table i'm, I'm very very confident we can get a lot better outcome that way uh, and i think not saying that we don't do it i think that should be just standard practice across the board I, that's one thing actually i would implement the policy that is standard the practice the public health more the agency approach and just one final kind of jab away at this if if you were to identify something that's gone wrong something that we desperately need to fix um what might that be unfortunately it's the same thing jason isn't it uh, here it's got to take something really drastically to go wrong to fix it um I, and i've always say early early intervention is the best prevention for me um i would really invest a lot and i think and i really really mean that i i'd invest a lot into early intervention i think that can really really help a lot of people across the country so when when we do see things like we're seeing all the time now that politicians going out on drug busts um saying that all knife crime is youth violence quite often linking it with BAME communities as well what can we do to combat that and, and help change the narratives i think what is exactly what you said um earlier on I think that will come down to individual approaches and what I call profiling. Um, you know, it's happened to me. My my partner, she's got a Mercedes. I've been pulled over on that four times. Um, you know, I call it DWB, driving while black, you know, um, because it is a racial profile. Black guy driving a, a BMW or a Mercedes has to be a drug dealer. Um, you see a black person play rugby or athletics or football, you just see him on the pitch. Oh, he or she has to be fast um, because obviously people from the Bane community dominate the sprint on the Olympics. So automatically is that thing there. It's a, um, and I think that needs to change a little bit, you know, because like we said, um, if a young person attacks another young person in London or Birmingham, it's about race. But I read not too long ago a young 17-year-old girl who got stabbed quite horribly in Southampton. I read that story. Race wasn't a problem there. I saw it the other day where up in Manchester, um, two rival gangs were going at each other. Uh, race wasn't mentioned there. But the minute someone from the Bain community does it, it's a it's a it's a black on black or a bane on bane problem and it's not. Um I think it's the demographic that I think people need to look at. Being so I call it being socially intelligent, being socially aware. That's what I call it. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And and you mentioned there, yeah, you know, you're an athlete. Yeah, you, you you are on the rugby pitch, um, getting major accolades because of your speed. Um, because one of the things that um that really interested me and, and we're going to talk about your exit exit strategy from county lines is that i think i'm right in saying that there was a police officer that was quite close to you and became quite a good friend that because he had chases with you on the ground he was like well you're, you're down quick get on the rugby pitch can you just explain that potential relationship that you had there yeah so it was it was two um it was two police officers and actually i like to go back to what you said to change in i would bring back in 
um, community policing, what I feel community policing really is, um, because this is what I'm going to say next is a perfect example of that. And um, there's two police officers. There's I think there's six police officers in total that that were the main police officers around Dufferin where I grew up in Newport, and they knew us. They knew us down to a T. They, the, the, the one police officer helped me, he remembers my mother pregnant with me. That's how long he's been walking the streets of my area. Um, and if we wasn't in school because we were dealing in bed and whatnot, he would go to my school and the teacher, he would go, what's going on? And he'd ask the teacher um, what, um, who's missing and she'll mention one name. She'll say Wesley Cunliffe and then the, he'll actually go, let me guess, Joe Bloggs one, Joe Bloggs two, Joe Bloggs three. And the teacher go, how do you know that? And he went, leave with me. I know exactly where they are. And, you know, knock on the door and he'll say to my mother, where is he, Trace? Oh, he's upstairs, blah, blah. And I wake up and I'm just my boxes and he's in my face. Oh, I, he's, a, he's a proper cockney. Oh, I, what's all that about? And I was like, why are you in my room? And he's like, come on, uh, move, school, move now. And I was like, all right, hang on a minute, yeah, hang on. And he's like, no, come on, move. And and people will go, what's it all about? He generally understood me. He understood, not just me, all the young people in that area. He understood what we were going through. They understood what we were going through. Don't get me wrong, no crime went unpunished. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but they understood where, 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 where we were in life. They understood what the barriers we were facing. They get that. And there's been a few times where I was get involved in trouble and the one time i was i was on the train track pin, picking up the old copper nails off the off the train track and uh he he saw me and he was like come here and i was like what and he said empty your pockets and i and i emptied my pockets and i completely forgot that i had i had the drugs in my pocket as well so um, he was like what's this and as he bent down to to pick up the things i ran and he chased me, and the gap just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I forgot they knew exactly where I live, so they were like, "Let him have his five minutes of fame, because I'll just knock his door in the morning, and they'll get him then." And they did get me then, um, and and they pulled me to the station for um, for theft and criminal damage and, pos and possession of a, of a class drug. And that's when he said to me, "He said, did you realise how fast you ran?" I went, "No," he said. I had the dog with me. I went, yeah. He said, you ain't ran the dog for about 30 metres. I said, listen, Mr. Morgan, if you had an Alsatian chasing you, you would run like Usain Bolt as well. And he was like, no, I accept that. He said, do you realise you can move that fast? I said, Mr. Morgan, I didn't realise I can move that fast. So obviously him being a valley boy as well, in Wales, as you know, rugby is kind of in the DNA of his people. Um, so obviously he was very biased to that. So he was like, you need to take part in rugby. Not because he thought I'd be good at it. He was just being biased. He was like, you're Welsh. You need to play rugby. And that's that. Um, I was like, have I got a choice in this? And he went, no. Um, so I had a little go and I and I kind of liked it, but I was still involved in that lifestyle, you know. So when the stabbing happened and things went bad and I recovered, he actually came and saw me and he went, how far does this have to go before you end up in a box? And I was like, I understand. And he sat in my house with me, and he was like, "How far has this got to go?" And he didn't have, he didn't come to see me as a police officer. He generally come to see me and saying, "I don't want to see you in a box," uh, you know. And when I think back on it, I can see where he was where he was going with it and how he was trying to support me with that. I kind of get that because he was like, "You've got talent." You know, use it. And when I got into trouble with that, with the, with the possession, when I got stabbed, they found the drugs. Um, I went to the I went to the court and I was in front of the magistrates, in front of the judge. And obviously, it's a youth court then, so I had like three, four judges in front of me. So it was like a, like a dragon's den, really. And it was th I remember it was three females and a male judges, and the the CPS were putting their case forward. They were talking about all these things I was doing, and they come on my behalf. And they explained how I, even though I did commit crime, they said it wasn't a malice. They said Wes has always been a polite young man. He's always been good to us as as a, as a as a young person. He's never really been that kind of a problem to us as police. Like f off or go away. It was just the fact of, unfortunately, the first offences Wes has committed are quite serious offences. Um, but they said, we believe in this young man. We know this young man got a lot to offer. And the four judges took him at their word. Um, and my solicitor told me I was looking at four years. 
I was looking at four years, um, two years in a young offenders, and then one year in a in a senior. That's he told me. That's what I was looking at. Uh, but those police officers spoke for me and said, "We know this young man, and he's got a lot to offer." So that's when they, the judges walked out of the room and they come back in like two hours later. And in my head, I was like, "I'm I'm 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 fucking gone here. I'm gone here. I'm going. Ta-ra. See you later." And um, they come out and they went, "Mr. Cunliffe, we got three options for you: option A, option B, or option C." And I, and I said, what's that? And they said, well, option A is, um, if you we give you a YRO, I said, what's that? They said a youth rehabilitation order. I said, okay. They said, that's one step down from custody. I said, right. They said, you've got to go back to school. I was like, what? They said, you've got to go back to school, um, redo your GCSEs and A-levels, and also you, you're going to take part in some sports. I said, like what? They went, I heard you can run pretty quick. And I looked and I looked across at the officer and he winked at me and I thought, Do you know what? Don't you ever dare talk to me about exploitation again, mate, because you're you're worse than all of us, mate. And um the judge looked at me and said, What's your thoughts? I said, Yeah, yeah, fine. Okay, I'll take part in some sports. And she said, um, do you know uh, your sports development officer? I went, Yeah. They said, You've got to meet him with her every single Friday for the next six months. I was like, What about? And she said, you'll see. She said, and she said, we've got option B. I went, right. So what's option B? And she went, well, it's the complete opposite to A. I was like, okay. I said, what's option C? She said, I reason I put in option C. She said, this to see how, how lucky you really are. Option B and C is the opposite to A. So if you say no to option A, option B and C is what you want. Option B is three years. Option C is five years. And I was like, um, option A. <laughs> option eight please <laughs> and she was like done so i got involved in rugby and there's a local club called saint joseph's um rugby club and they're based in the local in my local area where i grew up and there was a gentleman there called mike dawkins he was from risker and uh a valley boy as well all right buddy uh very proper valley lad and he was the next step in the chapter for me he really backed me he he really backed me to go far in in the sport and he gave me every opportunity and we played against all kinds of teams and he, it didn't matter what was said. He was he was always at my back. I had racism when I went in there. People called me all these racist names and he had my back. Every single time, he had my back completely. And that's how it first started. No matter what happened, he treated me like a, like a person, like a human being. He treated me like a person. And he said, I don't see a cr- criminal. He said, I see a young lad who just needs something to focus his energies on. And, and rugby was one of them. Uh, and then after that, um, I was playing for Newport Youth, my local town, and uh, all this, and I was playing a game, and I look, never looked back with, with that in terms of rugby. Um, and I ended up playing for Tredegar, a local local side in the valleys, and I didn't know this happened, Jason. So I went to the big club then called Ebervale. They're they're like quite a big rugby club in in in, in Wales. I would say in Europe as well. They've had. Uh, you know, they've had big teams come to their ground. They played against teams like Toulouse, Toulon. You know, it's like, oh, my God. And how that happened was my, my grandfather, my dad, bless him, um, he was watching me play rugby, and I played a game. I didn't know they were there. And I got in the car after the game, and I sat in the car, and he said to me, you got to give this man a ring tomorrow. I said, who's that? And he said, there's a man called Jason Strange. I said, who's that? And he said, he's the new head coach of Everville. He wants you to ring him tomorrow. So I rang him the next day. My dad there, watch it. My dad dialed the number for me. He went, here you go, give me the house phone. So I rang him and he said, I want you to come to Ville for pre-season. I said, oh, I said, oh, all right. And I'm not going to lie to you, Jason, I was still on the fence. I was very still on the fence because that world was unknown to me. And yet again, it goes back to our lived experience. I understand why kids feel taking that step. It is the fear of the unknown. It is that very fear, that anxiety weighs you down because you don't know what you're walking into. Because when you're dealing drugs, I've got control of that. When I'm in my house, I've got control of that. When I got the money, I've got control of that. I don't have control now what happens next when I go to this rugby stadium. I don't know what happens next. And that really scared the shit out of me. I really didn't know what to do. And I went there, trained, did well, and they sat me down and they said, we want to sign you on a, on a couple of years deal. And I started thinking about it and I went home to my grandparents and my granddad sat there and he said, listen, he said, only two years ago, I was watching doctors saving your life on that hospital bed. He said, I saw all the blood and guts. He said, I saw everything. He said, I was watching my grandson die. 
He said, I was watching it. I said, he said, I was watching it. I was like, okay. And he said, and you get involved in all that shit. He said, with all the drugs and all that. He said, you get involved in all that. He said, listen, you can come to the valleys with me in the land. You can live with us. And he said, this is your chance now. Your chance to walk away for life. This is your chance to walk away for good. You need to take this opportunity. So I did. And I took that opportunity. I signed Fred Vale. And the very first league game, my name was set out to be starting against Van Haren, the very first game. I couldn't believe that. And there was a big crowd there. And about three, 4,000 people would be at home game at any one time. And in my first year, I won Supporters Player of the Year. And I won um, young, um, what they call young mascots, all the young people that um, uh, watch the game. They ask all the kids who you feel is your... And I won that award as well. So internally, like you asked me, internally, all that is going on inside me. I was this person who people saw as a as a scumbag, an issue to society, somebody that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be walking the streets, somebody who's locked up. I've gone from that to being a role model to young, young children in the valleys. And I know it's not about race, but don't forget mine, all these kids are white and they saw me as their role model. You know, they're going to the, they're going to the veil, putting number 13 on their jerseys. They want to, you know, their favorite players wears. And the bank side as well, the bank side, as they call. So the bank side, Jason, is people who are working class. So it only makes sense that I fit, I'm their favourite player because they, they know where I come from. So it kind of makes sense why they like me so much. Um, and I was I was their favourite player. And as as that world got bigger, the whole the old crime world got really, really smaller. And that was it. It became a little dot. And I walked away for life. And I was lucky then. I met my beautiful partner, Rhiannon. We had a beautiful son together. Um, I had my daughter. I got a beautiful daughter as well. You know, and I got a beautiful son, Terrell, 17. I've got all that now at our own home. Um, if you asked me that 10 years, even 10 years ago, Jason, I would have laughed at you. I was like, you have, you have a laugh and you, that, that would never happen in a million years. And now I'm working with people who are going through the same issue as me. That's my, that's my exit route. That's my way out of County Lions. That was my exit. The whole, that was, that's the whole story. And just to top it off, um, my sport development officer gave, paid for me to do my lifeguard certificate. Um, and that was my first ever job as a lifeguard. Um, you know, in the leisure centre, coaching young kids in the in, in the in the play scheme in, the, in my local leisure centre, coaching young children, sports, badminton, basketball, you know, play scheme, all that kind of stuff, and and they paid for me to do that, and all they wanted in return was me to work at their local pool for free, for three hours for two weekends. That's all they asked for in return. And, you know, things like that is gone. And I think if you brought things like that back, I think you see a lot more young people walk away from that kind of life. But that's that's what happened to me. That's That was my exit. That was my exit there. A police officer spotted my speed and two men gave me the opportunity. One was Mike Dawkins and the other one was Jason Strange at Evervale. So, you know, that's that's how lucky I am. Two men give me that, give me that opportunity and I didn't look back. See, it's a Hollywood story. It really is. And, and am I right in thinking as well that you you played internationally as well? Yeah. So I had a I, I had a little glimpse in the UK wise uh, with the Jamaica Sevens, but unfortunately, with my record and my and my rap sheet, it'd be quite difficult to go to places like San oh. Francisco and the Gold Coast. <laughs> you know, that would be quite difficult for me. But also, I had a um, spell with the Wales Dragon Arts Rugby League. And, you know, unfortunately, I lost dad in 2019 when I got selected and it just didn't feel right, you know, about me continuing. I was just gutted because he's my best pal, my granddad. I call him dad. He raised me since I was little. You know, he's been there for me every step of the way. And, you know, um, I was just gutted, gutted, lost my bestest friend ever I ever had. And... um so I'm looking to go back into that next year. I'm looking to remake that squad for the Wales Rugby League Dragon Arts next year. That's my that's my end goal. Once I've done that, I think I've achieved then. Yeah, totally. I mean, you've achieved so much anyway. It's just, it's incredible what you've done. And you mentioned fairly early on in this podcast, you know, you still get mental health spells. You know, you still struggle every so often. You know, presumably as well, you know, imposter syndrome can quite often creep in with all of us as well. Um, so as my final question are you in a good place now and can you looking for the future do you think that for you personally just you personally do you think that, that you know there is a future for you you know you know where you're going um do you feel like you are 
it being inspired still within this realm you know other people that can inspire you to do good yeah absolutely i'm always inspired by the people to do to do good um i got a few <coughs> role models to look at um it sounds a bit crazy um tony bellew was one i'm a very big fan of of that of that man who before he retired he's my favorite boxer um i also see you know tyson fury as a role model as well how he speaks about mental health and how he and how and how he, how he was living with it kind of resonate with me because i've had very similar feelings to how he was feeling and you know that inspires me to keep helping people you know cause i know tony bellew is doing the same thing he's using boxing to get kids off the street and stop carrying knives and i want to go down the same route with lived experience and with with sport and rugby you know i want to do the same thing that way um so yeah i, I do see myself on the on the big future and in all fairness for me I'm, I'm i'm a very simple man um i don't ask for nothing too big nothing too complex i'm a family man um i just want to be with my family a lot and i enjoy rugby i enjoy the company there and as long as i can keep working with young people that's my future for me brilliant well thank you so much wes your story is just so inspiring uh, thank you so much for joining us no thank you for having me and um i, lo I look forward to uh, hopefully talking to you again in the future Thank you so much, Wes, for that just amazing conversation. And given I'm now a trustee for Rise and Reach's new charity, I'm going to have a lot more conversations with Wes. And no doubt he'll be popping back over to our streams to give us a lot more insights because who better than to learn this from than to people that have been on the front lines like Wes. So thank you so much for everything you do. And one of one of thank yous. Thank you to Nikki, the producer, everything you do. We wouldn't be here without you. You're a legend. Thank you to John and Tristan for everything you do in producing duties. Thank you to Johnny Borrell for the theme tune. John Harris at the Distraction Pieces Network for all you do. And also my name is Ad for the artwork. Thank you, everybody that listens to this, shares it and subscribes and reviews nicely. Don't just listen to us, use us. So thank you so much and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Behind your barricades Yeah, but how long can I stay? Behind your barricades Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.